You know, perhaps one of the most annoying commandments or exhortations given to us in the context of the spiritual life is this commandment or exhortation to love our enemies. So given all that, I thought it might be kind of helpful to expound upon various reasons why it's actually a good idea to love our enemies. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that the commandment to love our enemies is good because it reveals basically purity of intention. And Bishop Robert Barron talks about this when he talks about how if we're simply kind or benevolent to people who are kind or benevolent to us, that's not really love, that's actually indirect egotism. In other words, if we act in this way, it basically speaks to the fact that the only reason why we're being good to other people is not because we're being altruistic, but rather because we desire to have some tangible benefit incurred to ourselves. Whereas in contrast, if we're good or kind or benevolent to people who can't pay us back or perhaps respond to us not simply with indifference but with outright hostility, well then again that reveals purity of intention. It suggests that the reason why we're doing this particular good thing is not because we want to incur some personal benefit but rather because we are acting purely out of love for God, again with purity of intention. To illustrate the point, think about this really famous story in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, the story of the sheep and the goats, where the key line in a certain sense is when the Lord says, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you also do it unto me. Now, I think for a lot of people, when they think about the least of our brothers and sisters, they think about, uh, understandably so, uh, people who are classically poor, you know, people who are lacking in material means, people who are lacking perhaps in physical health. Whereas I think we're also supposed to include people we find to be difficult, people we find to be challenging, people that we might classify as our enemies. These people are also meant to be included, I would suggest, in the context of people who are the least of our brothers and sisters. And so the example that comes to mind, there's this really great story involving St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, where, if I recall correctly, she was walking with a fellow sister, another sister from the Missionaries of Charity, where they were both being approached by this somewhat unpleasant fellow. In response to which, Mother Teresa said in a sort of cheeky sort of fashion, here comes Jesus in his annoying disguise. And you know, even though this isn't necessarily something you might expect from the lips of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, at the same time, in saying this, she's teaching us something really important. Namely, this idea that whenever we encounter difficult or challenging people, again, people we would classify as our enemies, this presents to us a precious opportunity to love Christ with purity of intention, to simply love others out of love for Christ. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this. Another really tangible reason why it's good to love our enemies is because, practically speaking, it creates a better opportunity to win our brothers or sisters back into the Lord. Okay, so the example that comes to mind, think about the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, where the Lord talks very famously about turning the other cheek and giving a person who's trying to steal your coat your shirt also. And I suppose the thing I want to suggest to you right off the bat with regards to both these different examples is that even though these might seem to be really extreme forms of pacifism, in reality, if you bring the proper intention to bear, you're actually being really purposeful and very intentional in terms of facilitating the grace of conversion. And so, for example, think about the notion of turning the other cheek. And so, basically, this requires a certain understanding of Jewish purity laws, if you will. And so, just to kind of think it through, if a master in Old Testament times were to try to strike a servant or a slave with his hand, he would basically try to strike the left cheek using his left hand, assuming he was um, right-hand dominant, right? Because the idea is that once you strike your servant or a slave, or quite frankly, another person in that way, um, that, that hand becomes richly impure and therefore useless for a certain period of time. 
And so just to kind of bring the thing to its logical conclusion, if the servant or slave were to then turn the other cheek, such that now the right cheek is facing the aggressor, then in order to continue the aggression, uh, the master would have to strike that servant or slave using his right hand, again, presuming he was right hand dominant, thereby rendering that hand entirely useless based again on Jewish purity laws, which of course he wouldn't do. And so to pull it all together, the very act of turning the other cheek on the part of the servant or slave is basically a nonviolent way of suggesting to the aggressor, look, I think what you're doing is unfair or otherwise unjust. You find a similar thing going on when it comes to the example of giving a person not simply one's coats, but also one's shirt. And so again, just to kind of think it through, like imagine if someone's trying to steal your coat and you respond by giving that person not just your coat, but your shirt as well. Well, then as a result, in a certain sense, you're standing naked before the other person. And the idea is that your nakedness might hopefully shame the other person into a stance of right behavior. And of course, the underlying takeaway message with regards to both these different examples is that we are invited to do the same. To be really creative in terms of coming up with various nonviolent but provocative ways to shame our brother or sister, to shame our enemy into a stance of right behavior. Mindful of the fact that at the end of the day, this person, regardless of who that person actually is, is not our enemy. The enemy is always the world, the flesh, and the devil. But that brings us to our third reason as to why it's good to love our enemies. And basically it's to say this, if you love your enemies, it's a tangible sign that you've allowed the gift of God's forgiveness to really touch your hearts and change your life. So to illustrate the point, think about the Lord's Prayer, otherwise known as the Our Father. So if you break down the Our Father, basically it contains, of course, various petitions. And of those petitions, the only one which contains a condition is the one having to do with the Lord's forgiveness. So the idea is, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And you know, even though a lot of people might read that particular petition as God is sort of arbitrarily saying that, look, I will only forgive you if you forgive other people, in a certain sense, to use the language of Bishop Robert Barron, it's a matter of spiritual physics. And so the whole idea is that if I can actually bring myself to forgive my enemies, to actually love my enemies in the way that God has forgiven and loved me, well then again, that's a tangible sign that I've allowed the gratuitous gift of God's love and His mercy to touch my heart and change my life. To illustrate the point, think about the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, which tells us a really famous story of the sinful woman who comes to Jesus when he's visiting the house of a Pharisee named Simon, and then proceeds to wash his feet with her tears, and then dry those tears with her hair. And you recall how the Pharisee Simon actually responds. And so certainly he's critical and dismissive of the woman, like hopefully that goes without saying. But on top of that, in a certain sense, he's more critical of Christ for seemingly failing to notice that this woman is a sinner, and on top of that, allowing the sinful woman to actually touch him. But then, of course, the Lord responds unto him by first of all naming all these different ways in which this woman has loved him in concrete circumstances, but then saying on top of that, basically the person who has been forgiven much also loves much. Again, alluding to the fact that when we forgive other people, again, it's not so much a precondition for us receiving the Lord's forgiveness, but rather it's a tangible sign that we've internalized the free gift of being reconciled with the Lord. But you see, perhaps in this we might see a great summary of everything we've said thus far about this exhortation to love our enemies, which is basically to say this. Perhaps the reason why we find it so inconvenient and annoying to love our enemies is because we've somehow lost sight of the gratuitous gifts that God has given to us right across the board. 
And you know, not just the more obvious gifts like the people in our lives, our material possessions, or the very air that we breathe, but also things which are a little more grounded in the spiritual life, like our redemption in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and the fact that we have truly become sons and daughters of Christ the King through His great sacrifice on the world of the cross. And you see, the whole idea of we kind of bring it all together is that if we really learn to internalize the fact that truly before the Lord, without exception, we're all beggars, deserving of nothing, entitled to nothing, well then perhaps we might see this invitation and exhortation to love our enemies, not as this oppressive thing, but rather as this really precious opportunity to pay it forward, to pay forward unto other people the gratuitous gift of our own friendship with the Lord. And may God bless you all.